0: I love snow, and uh, I've actually always loved snow since I was a little kid. Even to this day, I get excited when they call for snow, and that's what the forecast is. I remember when I was in fifth grade, uh, they were calling for this big snowstorm. Now, I grew up in North Carolina, and so a big snowstorm is six inches, all right? That would knock everything out for about three months. I mean, you were going to be home forever. Some of you understand because you've lived in North Carolina. But, um, but they were calling for this big snowstorm, and this big six-inch snowstorm is on its way. Well, about three days before the snowstorm hit, they came back with another forecast, and they said, here's the deal. We've got this energy is just coming up from the Gulf of Mexico, because, again, if you know North Carolina, that's where the big storms come from. We've got this Arctic air that's coming in from the north. They're going to hit at the right moment right over North Carolina. We think there's going to be more snow. It's going to be more like 8 to 10 inches. As a kid, I was pretty excited about this, because here's what I knew. I could go out and play tackle football parents never let us play tackle football unless it was snowing unless there was snow on the ground then we could play tackle football so I was pretty excited about playing tackle football going out and play with our neighbor friends going out and sledding about a day before the snowstorm was supposed to hit they came back again and they said oh man this energy it's it's crazy we're not talking about like eight to ten inches we're talking like more 10 to 12 inches of snow we weren't going to move out of our homes for like six months I mean this was going to be amazing I'm looking forward to it. Everybody I knew was looking forward to it. We were all very, very excited. Went to school that day, but of course, you know, when you're a kid and they call for snow and it's the day the snow is supposed to come, what's your expectation? You wake up in the morning and it's already there, right? It did it the night before, you're ready to go. Well, it didn't snow that night, so I got up that morning, was pretty disappointed, looked out the window, and you know, back in the day, if they called for snow, you actually went to school. They didn't call school off just because snow might be coming. Not that that's ever happened here before, but anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those are terrible days, right? Your kids are at home. Anyway, um, and, and so they, they said you got to go to school. And so everybody got on the bus. Uh, because of the way the school system was where I was at, I had to go about an hour away to where my elementary school was located. Got there. And do you think any studying happened that day? No. Every kid in the school, even the teachers, we just looked outside the window the whole day because we were waiting for this huge snowstorm to come. I went to bed that night. And not one snowflake fell the whole day. This uh, dry air mass came into it, like the dry air masses like to do, and messed everything up. Not one snowflake. They had called for this huge snowstorm, and nothing happened. I can admit to you I was pretty bummed because I love snow. But I think most of us love weather in some way, shape, or form, right? I mean, it's why the weather channel is one of the top three cable channels that we watch, unless you have Verizon Fios, like I do, and you have to watch AccuWeather, which was terrible. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, But we love weather. We love to, my kids, every single night, mom and dad, what's the temperature going to be like tomorrow? I'm like, don't you have a phone you can look at and figure it out yourself? Yeah, but I need you to tell me. So we'll, we'll tell them the forecast. When hurricanes hit or tornadoes are coming or snowstorms are about to, to arrive, what do we do? We watch the weather. We want to see everything that's happening because we love weather. And we love knowing what the forecast may be. Today we start this series called "Climate Change." And I know that some of you are in here and you're thinking, we talked about weather, and now here's the title of this message. We're going to talk about actual climate change, scientific climate change. We'll just shelve that for uh, another sermon at some other time. What we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is something much more important. It's relationships. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about climate change when it comes to the relationships that you and I have. Here's the deal. Uh, we are at a time in the year, we're going to be spending a lot more time with people, right? During the holidays, that's what we do. Our family comes to visit us, especially if you live here in the D.C. area, because they want to go to D.C. for Christmas. They want to see what it's like. So they come visit you, or maybe you're going to travel to go see them. You're going to have parties that you're going to go to. Your parties are going to have parties you're going to be around your coworkers because it's the end of the year you got all the stuff you got to do so you got to spend more time with them i mean there's all these relationships that are just kind of growing at this time of year but then there's our normal relationships the things that we do day to day our marriages our friendships our fiancés the people that we are dating our kids our parents see our lives are all about relationships and as it says here on the screen climate is associated with every single relationship that you and i have we don't always think about that it's kind of like the video showed there's a climate to every relationship that you and i have and the climate of those relationships that determines the forecast if we understand and know the climate of that relationship then we know the forecast we know the future of that relationship let's talk about marriage for a moment if um, you're watching a couple and you see that their relationship is icy and cold, yeah, I mean, you can predict the future, right? You know what the forecast is for that marriage, and it's probably not very good. But if you're looking at a couple and you're like, "Man, the the, the climate there is hot and steamy," you're like, "That's kind of gross." You know, Mom and Dad, you need to. You're 65. I know this. Please stop. Too much. Get a room. Get out of my face. We can look at the climate of a marriage and know pretty quickly the forecast. Because the climate of that relationship determines the forecast. Not just marriage. It's at work. It's with our kids. It's with our parents. It's with our friends. Again, the people we're dating. Every relationship that we have has a climate. And if we understand the climate of that relationship, then we can predict what the forecast will be, what the future will be, for that particular relationship. Why do we talk about relationships? Well, it's because our relationships are the most important asset that you and I have. This isn't something I came up with. This actually comes from from Jesus. If you look in Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 36, we we read these words. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says, you want to know what relationships are all about? They're about everything. They're about everything. He says all the laws that have been written, all the laws that you all have, all the, the things the prophets have said, everything is connected to two relationships, the relationship that you have with God and the relationship that you have with people, which means our relationships are the most important asset that you and I have. Before we can talk about those relationships, though, and before we can understand the climate of those relationships, we have to have a starting point. And that starting point actually comes to us. The question is, what is your climate? Who are you? In the business world a while back, I don't know if uh, you guys are still doing these or not, they were doing uh, 360 assessments. Have you guys ever done a 360 assessment before? It's horrible, right? It's like terrible. Um, but it's good at the same time. Basically, what happens is the people that you work around assess you. It's not where it used to be where the boss said, okay, this is what I like about you and what I don't like about you. If they're having a bad day, you got a bad review. This was coming from everybody in your team. So, everybody in your team is giving you feedback. And what are they doing? They're giving you positive feedback, right? These are the things you're doing good. You're great at this. You're a people person. You know, you, Your Excel spreadsheets are also pretty and in, in, in order. It's great. But then they're also giving you negative feedback, too. Here are the bad things. Here are the things you need to work on. Here are the things you don't show up for meetings when you're supposed to. You know, you never return phone calls or email, whatever it may be. And so you're getting both sides uh, of this information back to you, the good and the bad. Here's the struggle that we have. We tend to look at all the good things. I've done these before in a ministry position for a couple of years. And what I would do is I would look at the positive things real quick, right? Okay, good, good, good. That looks great. And then I'd go right to the negative stuff. Huh, what is this? You don't know who wrote what, by the way. They don't have a name beside it. So you're looking, at it, like, I wonder which one of these people wrote that, because that's not very nice. <laughs> Am I getting ready to get fired? That's another question you ask, because you're looking at this stuff. Because we're negative people, we tend to, we tend to be um, connected to and to move towards things that are negative. And so we'll look at those negative things, and we'll start to, to get kind of mad and angry about it. What you will find, if you've done those 360 assessments before, is that they're really meant to be neutral, it's not trying to tell you what you're good at and what you're bad at. It's trying to say this is who you are. This is your climate in this workplace. Now, here's some things you could work better at or do better at. Here's some things you do really well at that are your strengths, but, but in reality, they're all neutral. Why do I bring up the 360 assessment? If you and I were to do a 360 assessment on ourselves, what would our climate be? If you were to be honest with yourself what would your climate be? Because we're not very good at being self-aware. We're great at looking at other people and saying, "This is what I see in you." But when it comes to ourselves, we're kind of like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm good. Things are nice. I'm making it. I, I, I do everything well," even though that may not be the case. If we were to do a 360 on ourselves, what would our climate be? And that's the question that we're going to work on through the next few moments together. This morning, because our climate determines our forecast, and that means if we know our climate, we're going to have a pretty good idea of the relationships that we have and what they're going to look like. Well, we're going to look at a story this morning out of Genesis, Genesis chapter four. Uh, If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we put it up here on the screen. If you got your Journey Church app, you can open that up, follow along, or you can follow along in your program this morning and take notes. Genesis chapter 4, this is a a story that um, we don't talk about a whole lot, but um, is very important in the big scheme of of things. Genesis 4, starting with verse 1. It said, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Let's just stop there for a moment. That's a lot of information there, God. (laughs) Every time I read that, I kind of think of like Barry White's in the background, like, oh yeah, just kind of singing. Everybody knows Barry White's been around since the beginning of time. But um, Adam made love to his wife Eve, which meant they were normal. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. When I read through those words, here's what I sense. I sense excitement. That Adam and Eve, they've been together, they've gotten pregnant, and now they've had this child. You can sense that excitement that Eve has about, here's my boy this is This is my kid this is this is Kane, and it makes sense too, because if you have children, you know how exciting you are when that first kid is born. But we have three kids. our oldest is Savannah. She will be sixteen in, in february don 't worry she 's not going to drive till she 's eighteen so everybody 's safe right now <laughs> um, but um, But I remember everything about the day she was born. I can remember what the weather was like I can remember what the hospital was like. I can remember what the delivery room was like. I can remember everything that happened in the delivery room. Uh, I can remember the emotions that I felt, the emotions my wife felt. I can, this is going to sound really weird. I can even remember what the doctor was wearing the day she was born. I don't know why. I just remember everything about that day because it was so special. It was our first child. We have two younger kids too, Avery and Jake. I don't remember jack about those births. <laughs> I am so serious. I don't remember a thing. I love those kids. I don't remember anything. The only thing I remember is when Avery was born, the epidural didn't work, and Kara, my wife, said some words I can't even repeat here in this place. She didn't really, well, sort of, maybe. I don't know. But don't Please don't. I tell you, you got things up here. Don't go downstairs and tell her I say these things, okay? I always get the, hey, I heard you said this this morning. But anyway. When you have your first child, there's this excitement that's there. But notice what she does with the, what we see here in the segment. Oh, he has, she has another kid, and his name's Abel. It's kind of like the throwaway kid, right? So we have Cain and Abel are born, and we kind of see this excitement from what's happened. These literally are the first kids. Look at the rest of verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. We have these two brothers. They give two offerings. One God says, great, wonderful, beautiful. That was for Abel. But for Cain, he's like, yeah, this doesn't quite make it. People ask the question, why didn't God accept Cain's offering of of grain? And a lot of people, they say that it's because it was grain. Well, that's not necessarily, I don't think, the case here. Uh, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, you remember what God told them? God said, Hey, Cain, or Abel, excuse me, Adam, um, all these names. Uh, Adam, you're going to have to work the soil. You're going to have to create your, your own food. And so, grain was, was pretty important. In fact, if we look a bit later on, we find that you could give grain offerings to God. It wasn't what Cain gave, it was really his heart. It, it says here that he gave some, some, he gave leftovers. Basically, he was saying, God, you're not that important to me. Here's, here's my offering for you. Abel does the total opposite. Abel gives the fat portions from the firstborn. He gives the best of the best to God. And God looks at that and says, wow, you, you've given exactly what you should give. We see these two offerings. We see these two responses. And God says, one, you did well. And the other one, you got to work on it. But look what we find at the end of verse 5 there. It says, so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. In those few short words, we see the climate of Cain. We see his emotional and relational climate in those words. It says he's very angry. It doesn't say he's miffed. It doesn't say he's a little upset. It doesn't even say he's angry. It says he's very angry. I know that some of us maybe grew up in homes where you've seen very angry, and you know how painful and hurtful that is. You you see the, the tension. You see the veins pop, and you, you experience the, the spittle because of the words that are flying out of this individual's mouth, your mom or your dad, maybe someone else in your family. You, you watch this, and you experience that as a kid. You, you learn quickly how to protect yourself. You run and hide. I mean, this is where Cain is. He's He's very angry, but it also says he's, he's downcast, which means he's, he's sad. He's dispirited. Even though there's all this anger, his, I can only imagine him kind of with his shoulders bent forward, his head down, and that anger at every step that he is taking. He can't believe what God has told him. God's rejected the offering that he gave in that moment. His climate is seen. We see it here from what the writer wrote. We see his climate, his emotional climate, and it's not good. It's not good at all. But God jumps in and says this in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Do you notice what God does here? God tells him what his climate is. God looks at Cain and says, Cain, I I see your climate. I I see where you are. And It's kind of neat because God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't get mad at him. God doesn't say, hey, you're a sinner. You're a terrible person. What does God do? God says, here's the deal. You got a choice. You can do right. Everything will be accepted. Or you can do wrong. You can make a bad choice here. If you do that, it's going to be destructive god knows that because of the climate of cain he knows what the forecast is for his future he knows what he's capable of doing and he tells cain cain this is what's going to happen if you don't do what you are supposed to do in this moment what does cain do look at verse 8 says now cain said to his brother abel let's go out into the field how does cain respond to god God says, hey, there's the choice you have. What choice are you going to make? And Cain says, oh, thanks, God. I appreciate that. that. You know what? I really need to hear that. I'm going to work on that. Cain doesn't even acknowledge God. He ignores God. He kind of says, all right, I'm done. And he goes to his brother, Abel, and he says, Abel, let's go out. I want to show you some of the grain that I have been growing. We you know what happens when he does that. Look at the end of verse 8 there. It says, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel. And killed him. We see that relational, emotional climate of Cain—that that anger, that, that sadness—and he, he doesn't listen to God. God says, "I see it. Here's your forecast." And Cain says, "I don't care." It's interesting to me because the problem is that Cain takes all of that a negative emotion that he has, what he has just experienced, and you see what he does—he actually pushes that, puts that onto the relationship with Abel. Cain has a symptom, but what does he do with that symptom? He makes it the disease. He, he says, this is what I'm feeling. This is who I am. I'm angry. I'm sad. And instead of working on that and dealing on that, he takes all that negative emotion, all that negative energy, and he says, this is all on Abel. And he turns that relationship into this disease. He doesn't deal with the problem. Do you want to know why I believe marriage is struggle? I think marriages struggle because this is what we do. In our marriage, there's something that's happened. There's some emotional peace to, to ourselves that we've never dealt with. We've never uh, gotten help for. And so we, we have this, this burden that we carry, maybe like this, this anger, the sadness that's there. And instead of dealing with the symptom, we take that symptom and say the whole marriage is this problem. We take this one thing and we say, this is the disease. And so we take our own symptom, our own climate, we throw it into that relationship. And we say, you're the issue. The marriage is the problem. The marriage isn't probably the problem. The problem is right here. It's me. It's my emotion, it's my feelings, it's this thing that I'm struggling with. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you can't have emotions and feelings in marriages. Those are very important. But the problem is we take those and then we begin to take those and make them bigger than they really are. We begin to push them into the whole marriage until we look at the marriage and the whole marriage is negative because of this one thing. Because we don't understand our own climate. Go beyond marriage. At work, you have struggles with somebody you work with. If you do, more than likely, the struggle is that you have taken this emotion, this climate that you have, and you've projected it on that relationship that you have at work, and now the relationship at work is the disease. Or as we come into the, 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 the Christmas season and we have all these family members, it's interesting how many family members really struggle this time of year because you know there's certain people you've got to spend time with and be around. You really don't want to do that. And when you get with those individuals, there's something that's happened. There's some emotion that you're carrying, some some feeling that you're carrying. And what you've done, you've taken that and you've projected it onto that relationship with that person. And so that person has become the disease. That relationship has become the disease because we've never dealt with the symptom. We struggle with this. And I honestly believe if we could fix that, if we could begin to understand our own climate, then we could begin to have healthy, strong relationships. And I truly believe this, too. If your marriage is struggling, a church this size, I'm sure there's quite a few marriages that are struggling. I wonder if you really know what your climate is in this relationship. Are you taking this emotion and this feeling, and instead of dealing with the symptom, are you making the marriage the disease and not dealing with it the way that we should? We see that here with, with Cain and Abel. And because of that, because Cain does that, he attributes this emotion he has to Abel he does exactly what God said he was going to do. The forecast was, if you don't change this, you're going to do something destructive. Sin's going to jump in. You're going to do something horrible. And, and that's what we see that, that Cain does. He, he kills his brother. Which is another thing altogether, because if you look at the story, do you realize this is the first actual death in the Bible? It's not age. It's not health. There was a spiritual death that happened when uh, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. There was a spiritual death there. The first death is a brother killing a brother. Because of this emotional thing that was there that was never dealt with because Cain didn't know how to deal with this climate that he had. Cain became his emotion. And many times in the relationships we have, we become the emotion. We become that feeling and and we project it on the whole relationship. And if we're not careful, we can be like Cain, and we can do something destructive within the relationships that you and I have. And so it's so important that we understand our climate. It's important that we understand who we are. So this morning, I want to give you two next steps that I think are imperative for us, because before we can talk about relationships in our lives, we have to talk about ourselves and so here are the two next steps that I would give you. The first one is this look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. I don't, you can leave today and go in the bathroom in there and go look in the mirror. I don't know if there's 40 people looking in the mirror at themselves, that's totally fine. But just look in the mirror somewhere. Now, I don't want you to look at yourself and say, hey, you know, my hair looks good today, or, you know, I brushed my teeth, everything's fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about looking into your eyes and into your souls. What, what do you see looking back at you? What, what is there? We're not very self aware. But if we were to sit there and we were to able to look at ourselves deep inside of our souls, what would we see? What would your climate be? What would my climate be? Yeah, the best place to start is to look in the mirror and say, who, who am I? What am I bringing to the table? Because my climate is going to determine the forecast of all the relationships I have. Now Here's the second thing I would tell you. Do a 360 assessment. Now, not a crazy one like they do in the work world, but... Here's what I would tell you to do. I would tell you to find three people in your life that you love and that you fully trust who know you better than anybody else and go to those three people and ask them this question, what is it like to be on the other side of me? What is it like to be on the other side of me? What is it like to be my spouse? What is it like to be my child? What is it like to be my parent? What is it like to be my best friend? What is it like to be my coworker? Whatever relationship you have, but you're really close to somebody that again this is important someone you trust and someone you love what is it like to be on the other side of me and then listen or maybe the right amount and send it to you in an email whatever it takes whatever you want to do here's the three things you're going to find out first they're going to tell you things that are encouraging they're going to say hey this is who you are man you're amazing in tough situations you love me unconditionally you are great and you provide whatever it may be you're going to hear some very encouraging words Take the time to read those and enjoy it. But then secondly, you're going to hear some very surprising information, too. They're going to tell you things that you didn't know about yourself. And the best thing to do when you get that information is to go back to them and say, wow, that, that surprised me. Can you give me some details? Tell me a little bit more. I don't quite understand what you're saying here. Can you tell me more about what you mean when you wrote this or when you said this? But then third, and this is the hard part, you're going to get some negative information back, too. You're going to hear some things that are really going to potentially may hurt you. But you're doing this so that you can understand your climate so that then you can have the relationships that God has created us to have. So when you see that information that's negative, when you you read that information that, that makes you pause for a moment, here's what you have to do. Nothing. Just read it and listen. Soak it in. Don't try to figure out, how am I going to get this person back for writing this down? Because you asked them, okay? You trust these people, and so you got to trust what they write back to you. Don't retaliate. Don't rebuke them. Don't try to prove that you're right and they're wrong. Again, that's hard for us to do. This information that you receive, like I said earlier, it's really neutral. But what it tells you is this is who I am. This is how people see me. This is what people perceive in me. And the reality is this is this is who I really am. I may not see this, but they do. And and our climate says a lot about us. And people see our climate. They understand our climate. Everywhere we go, it follows us. And so ask the people you trust. Ask the people you love to give you feedback. Who am I? Now, when it comes to that information you get that may be negative, um, you may find that there are some things in your life that you didn't know were there and that you need help with. Uh, here's what i would suggest to you and i will preach this till the day you guys either i die retire or you guys tell me to leave um counseling is something you have to do our family our whole family except for jake uh, our youngest who's 10 he always wants to go to counseling we're like you're okay right now buddy you don't need to do it right now but um <laughs> give us a give us a couple more years and we'll mess you up enough but um <laughs> But we've all been through counseling. We continue to go through counseling because we want to make sure that as a family, as a couple, that that we're healthy. And having a third party jump in and give you feedback to listen to what you have to say, to watch you, especially if you're married. If If your marriage is struggling right now and you're not willing to do counseling, then can I just be honest with you? Your marriage is over with. You have got to do what is right with your marriage. And here's what else I will say. If you're struggling in your marriage and your spouse says, I don't want to go and, and be, do counseling, I tell people, don't, don't push them. You go. You go. Look at your climate. Figure out who you are. The issue might not be them. It, it may be you. Let that individual work with you and spend time with you and give you thoughts and ideas and begin to pour into you. And you'd be surprised what can happen when you spend a little time just kind of letting it all out with someone who's a paid professional to do that. One of the things I love about the journey is we have this amazing relationship with Safe Harbor Counseling Services. I was talking to one of the guys here, Mitchell. um, I think he told me the other day over 1,500 people had been through their services over the I don't know how many years it's been, five, six, seven years. I mean, that's amazing to me. We want you to use them. We, they use our building. We don't get any money for them because we've said, hey, we want this to be a gift. We help people as much as you can. We have a unique relationship with them. If you're part of the journey, you get a discounted rate. If you're like, I need to do this. I need to go to counseling, but I can't afford it. You need to let us know. We'll figure out a way to get you in there, okay? It's that important. You can come talk to me. I am not a trained counselor. And there are, I don't know how many pastors are out there that says, I'm a trained counselor, but they're not. Okay? <laughs> they, they know We know Bible stuff, but I wasn't trained to be a counselor. Adam was, so you can go talk to Adam. If you want to talk to somebody, just go to <laughs> work with Adam. Um, it's hard to, to, to know where to go, and so we want to get you in a place that you can get that support you need. And so just let us know. Email us, office at thejourneynova.org. Say, hey, give me some information on Safe Harbor. We'll give you that information. If we'll get you connected, whatever it takes. It's that important because we need to understand our climate. We need to understand who we are. If we want to have healthy, life-giving christ-like relationships starts right here starts with me and starts with you jesus said that our relationships are the most important asset that we have that everything falls underneath loving god and loving people and if we don't take the time to know our own climate how are we ever gonna get to a place where we can have healthy relationships The way that I believe God has created us to be and the relationships God has created for us starts with me. What is my climate and what is yours and what are the next steps that you have to take to get to a healthy place? Because our climate determines our forecast.